Last night I decided to begin teaching my daughter Abigail how to, the books of the Bible. And so I went through the books of the, the New Testament for her and, and I was hoping that she would get the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and she said those. And then I gave her a kiss and I went, I went, um, I, I left and she said, can you send mom in? And, and Jamie went in and then Jamie, um, Abby said, you know, I know the books of the Bible. And Jamie said, well, tell them to me. And she said there, it's Luther, <laughs> James, Jack, and Luther. <laughs> it takes a while, parents, so don't give up on it. This morning I'm preaching from the book of Hebrews, 19 through 25, and, and the key word in this passage is confidence. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, then it goes on to say, let us draw near to God. Because we have confidence to enter into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God. In Greek, the word confidence means frankness, outspoken speech, openness to public scrutiny, courage, boldness, fearlessness, and joy. Confidence was the characteristics in that day of, of free citizens who could stand with their heads high and look people in the eyes. And this is important for us because when the writer of Hebrews calls us to approach God with confidence, He's calling us to be fearless, bold, and joyful as we look God eye to eye. Do any of you stop and, and pause when you hear those words? The writer of Hebrews wants us to have confidence to look God eye to eye. I mean, that seems to me a daunting task, a daunting command. You might remember all those Old Testament uh, passages where priests that speak of priests dying when they touch the, the Ark of the Covenant. You might think of that uh, Indiana Jones movie, right? When they're looking at the, the, the glory of God in the Indiana Jones and the Ark of the Covenant. No, no. And the Lost Ark, right? They're looking at the, the glory of God and what happens? Their face melts. And suddenly the writer of Hebrews is saying, look at God. Look at him eye to eye. You sure you want to do that? You might remember way back in, in Exodus where, where Moses said, God, I want to see your face. And, and God said, no, you can't see my face lest you die. Or you might remember Isaiah when he had a vision of God. And he had a vision in his vision that he saw God and he said this. He said, woe is me. I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. How can we approach God, see with confidence, seeing him eye to eye, as the writer of Hebrews tells us to do, and not be terrified? How can we approach God with confidence? Now, some would suggest that these words from Hebrews are words that are meant to be a warning, telling us, you know, you better clean yourselves up. You, you better get your house in order. 
so that you can approach God. That's what the Pharisees thought they had to do. They thought that if they, they kept all the laws of God, if they did everything right, then they could approach God with confidence. And you know the classic example of this is the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee and the tax collector went up to pray. The Pharisee stood up, looked up to heaven. And you remember his prayer? He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. The Pharisee had confidence, didn't he? He had boldness. He looked straight up to heaven and prayed. But what's the problem with the, the, with the Pharisee? Where was his confidence from? In himself. This passage isn't calling us to find confidence within ourselves. It's not calling us to, to get ourselves in order, get our lives in order so that we can stand before God and say, Aha! Now I can look at you face to face because I'm so worthy and so holy. Could you imagine what heaven would be like if eternity was determined by merit? I mean, it'd be terrible, wouldn't it? You'd have all these people self-righteous together, and they'd always try to one-up each other. You know, look how many, tr look how many crowns or look how many jewels are in my crown. Look at how big my room is. Look who my neighbors are. Wouldn't that be terrible if that was what heaven's like? Pastor Russ, why do you only have trinkets? Why are you living in a little shack? Why are you in the neighborhood with all those criminals? I think my reply would be, well, I was a Lutheran pastor. And, <laughs> and like knows like, right? If merit determined entrance into heaven... Heaven would be a living hell. And I want to share, I share this with you because I think most of us, when we read verses like this in Scripture, be confident. We think that's implying that we look inside ourselves, that, that we somehow drum up confidence, that, you know, that we make ourselves confident, that we make sure that we're really bold when we're praying, that we... we Right? Turn in on ourselves and, and muster up courage or, or feelings or boldness or joy. When we read scriptures like this, that's what we think, that it's calling us to, to make ourselves confident. But that's not what this passage is doing. Our confidence never can come from ourselves. This passage isn't calling us to, to develop feelings within ourselves. Because you know what feelings are like. They come and they go. You have a good week and you're ready to charge hell with the gates of hell and say, I'm going to knock it down. And then you have a bad week and you're so scared and you're filled with doubt. And so when you read passages like this, you go, how can I ever have enough confidence to approach God eye to eye? We make a mistake when we read scripture like that. This passage isn't calling us to look within ourselves, to drum up confidence, feelings of boldness. That's not what it's doing. Instead, this passage is calling us to look to the one who will give us confidence, 
look to the one who is our confidence, who is Jesus. Listen to verses 19 through 22 again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The reason for confidence in this passage isn't from within us. The, the reason for confidence is Jesus. Jesus, in fact, is our confidence. In verse 20, it says that Jesus has opened up a new and living way for us. Now, you have to understand, it's a road. You have to understand, way back in that day, ancient times, the emperor would often make roads, ways, paths. The emperor would pay for that. The emperor would put an inscription on it. And the emperor would do this as a sign, that, uh, a sign that things are beautiful, the sign that things are okay, a sign that, that this road is a, is a symbol, a, a picture that, that life is smooth, that the emperor is good, that kind, of, that kind of stuff. And you can all understand it. How did you feel the first time you drove into our church with the new parking lot, at least half of it done? <laughs> right? I mean, it, it suddenly you felt better. You, you went, wow, no more dirt on the shoes. And... <laughs> And it's smooth. I mean, the first day that I was, I was able to drive on it, I drove on it. I turned around and drove on it again. <laughs> I turned around again, drove on it. I mean, I did this a number of times. Why? Because a smooth road makes you feel good. It means there's smoothness there. there there's, there's things are right. Well, that's what the author of Hebrews is saying, that Jesus has made the way. Jesus, who's the way, the truth, and life, has made the way. He's paid for that with his blood. There's an inscription on that road. It's him, right? And, and, and he's, the, the, he's the emperor, the king, the, the high priest who makes this way right. But where does this road lead to? Well, it tells us it leads to God the most holy place. And that we take this road, as verse 20 says, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And that word curtain is important. What happened on Good Friday when Jesus was sacrificed? What happened to that curtain? It was torn from which way? Top to bottom, you know this. And what was that curtain to? The Holy of Holies. And who presided in the Holy of Holies? God. And so when he's saying there's a new road, there's a new way that's been paid by the blood of Jesus that goes to God through the curtain. It's referring to Jesus and what he did. And so we can have access to God. We can see him face to face, eye to eye. Not because of anything that we did, because we didn't change anything. Humanity didn't change anything. But because of Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus, the way, the truth, and life, dying, opening that veil so that we would have a smooth road to Jesus. A road where there's no tolls. Because it's been paid for by Jesus. 
have confidence to approach God. Why? He's laid the road. He is the road. He's paid for it so that you would come. But then you say, but I, that's okay, but I, I know I have sin in my life, and I, 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 I'm, I'm just not clean enough to travel on that road. It's too nice. I'm not. Many of you know me. I'm not. <laughs> How can I travel on that road? Well, the writer tells us in verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And you think about that, you can think about the Old Testament sacrificial system, but you can also think about Christ on the cross. Because what did he do on the cross? He shed his blood. What did he say on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And what poured out of his side when he was on the cross? Water and blood. Water and blood that sprinkles us clean. Water that washes us. We have confidence to ride on that road who is Christ, not because of anything we've done, but because of Christ who makes the road, whose death cleans us. And gives us the right conscience, even though you go, but I don't feel it too bad. Because <laughs> it's not about feelings, it's about Jesus. And so have confidence. Have Jesus. As we enter into the most holy place. Where we can stand eye to eye with God. As that old hymn reminds us, my hope is built on nothing less then Jesus' blood and righteousness. You know it. No merit of my own I claim, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Jesus is our confidence. And yet, he's more than that, because these first few verses are, are giving us a picture of what heaven's like. And a picture of, or eternity's like, a picture of, of a road to God. But the next sections of verses 23 through 25 are about our life here, about our community. And many people have called verses 23 through 25 salad verses. And you go, salad verses? What do you mean by that? It's because there's a lot of lettuce in it. <laughs> I know it's bad. I didn't invent it. Verse 23, let us hold unswerving to the hope we profess, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words... If Christ is our confidence, and he is, if we have access to the Father, and we do, because of what he's done, what then do we do now in life? As we're waiting for, as we're approaching him, and that day is approaching us, it's beautiful, it's the same word, as they're approaching each other, what do we do as a community down on this side of eternity? He says, well, gather together. And encourage each other. 
Why can you encourage each other? Because the confidence doesn't belong in you. It's Christ. So encourage each other. Help each other. Spur each other on towards love. Hold firm to the promise. The promises of God. Speak them to each other. Teach them. Have confirmation classes and everything else. So that we can approach that day. And as that day approaches us, with faith and hope that he who has promised all these things actually will deliver them. And so we as a church gather for that. And on, on Wednesday at confirmation, I asked the kids, why do we take an offering? Because it was on uh, thou shalt not steal and his teaching about just money. And they said, well, we don't know. You know, to say thank you to God, they said, yes, why else? They said, well, to help each other. And I said, yes, what else? And they said, and finally I had to share with them, so that you could have a class. Because the people of this congregation want you as teenagers to learn about your faith. So that you can know that Christ died on the cross for you. So that you would learn about the sacrament so you could come and take it. So that we might gather together as a community to help each other. to spur each other on, to encourage one another. Because all of us find times when we go into despair and we need each other and we need the Word of God spoken to each other so we would keep going, approaching God as God that day approaches us. Reformation. It's my prayer that all of you would have confidence. Don't look to yourselves, though, for this confidence. You'll never find it within yourself. Either you'll be filled with pride like a Pharisee and say, look how wonderful I am, or you'll be filled with despair like the tax collector who couldn't even look up to heaven. Instead, look to Jesus the author and perfecter of your faith. Jesus is your confidence. And so come forward at the Lord's Supper and receive Jesus. Take that taste, that foretaste, that God is truly present for you in this meal. And that he's coming again for you. And it's going to be a great and glorious day. In Jesus' name, amen.